Welcome to Hollywood 2.0. This is Peter Katz. My guest is Gina Keating. This is her second time on my show. She's an expert on Netflix and author of Netflix, The Epic Battle for America's Eyeballs. She wrote the episodes to the podcast Business Wars, Netflix vs. Blockbuster, and is currently working on an upcoming documentary about the streamer. When I first started covering Netflix in 2004, there was absolutely no indication that this was going to happen. And, you know, it's not even not even 15 years later, and the landscape is completely different. If you had told me that when I first looked at them as a, they weren't, I don't even think they were like $500 million um, company at that point. But, you know, it was, it was almost sort of like, oh, you know, these guys are doing something interesting. Just follow them and see what they're going to do. At that moment, when I was looking at them and thinking, why in the world would anybody order DVDs online and wait for them to come when you can just go to Blockbuster five minutes from your house? I, I don't think that I could ever have known that they were going to not only disrupt the content production side of it, but also the entire distribution vertical. I mean, you know, there were reports that they were considering buying movie theater chain Landmark, which I highly doubt that they're going to do this. Um, so that they could just do runs for their content, but it only for show and only to keep the exhibitors happy. I mean, I could not have imagined that kind of world where, where a theatrical run would be considered sort of like a vanity thing instead of something to make money. We haven't spoken for, I think around five years, uh, since, our first podcast together. And um, what are some of Netflix's accomplishments during that time that don't get enough credit? They were really instrumental in 2007 and until now in um, making sure that the internet stayed free and open, net neutrality in other words. And how they did this was they harnessed their growing uh, subscriber base uh, to do the work for them. Basically, they put on a blog post uh, every week saying, okay, here are the fastest providers and informing people, hey, your provider is about to start surcharging you. And so, you know, they couldn't do that themselves, but, you know, raising consumer ire to, uh, to not have get data caps and charges and things like that was hugely important, not only to them, but just pretty much the growth of streaming on the internet. And now that's gone, supposedly. So it's gonna be really interesting to see with 125 million subscribers worldwide, what kind of a difference they can make with that kind of internet policy. So that's really important. The other thing that's getting me kind of weirded out is they, were involved somehow in a lawsuit with the government of Brazil over some political, I guess it was a show that talked about one of the guys who was running for president, Lula. And so as they get larger, it's really going to be interesting to see what kind of impact their content is going to have, because the government was claiming that they were uh, influencing or trying to influence the election by this show. And one thing that I really liked about them when I was writing my book was how they supported the independent film movement and how they tried to remain really open as far as what could go on Netflix. Nothing was rated. I mean, they never did porn or anything like that. But there was nothing in terms of documentary or content that they would not consider. 
So I guess those would be the two things I think that they don't get enough credit for. They increased their political footprint, you know, internationally because of the amount of power and the audience that they have. If they didn't have that mindset early on, what would have happened? If you'll remember, not too long after they started streaming, within, you know, maybe three, four years, they accounted for more broadband traffic than any other company on the internet. And that's still the case. So they had to find a way. And, and also they technologically worked on the problem to compress the data so that it wasn't going to be uh, onerous for uh, the providers. But yeah, they really had to work their way through Washington on that one and, and harness, uh, harness their subscribers so that we have the experience that we have right now. They have the ability of the grassroots approach, and I imagine they also have a strong lobbyist power around the world. Yes. I mean, the fact that they put Susan Rice on their board, the former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, I mean, that tells you a lot right there. You're going to see, uh, because, you know, broadband systems are being built out all over the world, and whatever policy gets put, some, put in place in those countries is going to profoundly affect Netflix. So yeah, they've, they've got to stay really up to date on all this stuff. In, I mean, how many markets is it now? It's like 193 or something. It's a lot. They have all sorts of threats that they've been able to navigate. Currently, it's becoming a lot more of a competitive landscape. And I was just wondering who are the actual threats and who's just making noise? Okay, so the way that I see this, they have two fronts that they have to guard right now. One is the technological front, and the other one is the content front. Um, when they started in earnest against HBO, which I would say would be about 2011, when HBO and all the other networks started to realize that Netflix had cut these content deals and was growing its streaming service enormously using their content, but they were all locked into these multi-year content deals um, with these people who are now not going to do them anymore. Everything uh, that D Netflix has from Disney is going to expire in uh, 2019. And Disney, of course, by that time, hopefully will have its streaming uh, offering operational. But, you know, Netflix really had to in earnest. I mean, they're spending $8 billion this year and it's they've you know, ramped up this content spend pretty rapidly, even though it's a little bit scary for their investors because of the amount of debt they have. But they had to do it because as soon as these people started realizing, oh my God, they took our content and now they're enormous and we can't do anything about it, they had to be ready because those content deals weren't going to be available anymore and they had to get really good at it really fast. They have been really successful in making shows that people talk about, and that's very important. It's way more important than ratings or anything else that they could put out there because you got to have people wanting to see the next thing and the next thing because that's how a subscription service works. Technologically speaking, I would say their biggest threat is going to be in the United States, well, actually worldwide, from YouTube, uh, just because YouTube is, in terms of content, an amazing innovator. And that's because they have so many people putting so much stuff on there that they can pick out all this user-generated content and get the most cutting-edge stuff. And their users are kind of doing the work for them. However, Amazon is also an enormous threat because we just found out they have 100 million people looking at Prime. Now, they're subscribing to Prime for the shipping, probably. And we really don't know how many streams they're actually offering. 
So you never know how that's going to play out or if Jeff Bezos is even interested in this space or just kind of like placeholding. So that's kind of the way that I see it right now. Um, Disney, you know, at the present moment is not anything because they don't have anything that can compete with Netflix. And the way that I look at Disney is they're going to not have any R-rated content or anything like that, anything controversial as far as I'm hearing. So that's going to be, it's going to continue to be a Disney brand. Netflix is kind of an everything brand. Disney's going to stay a Disney brand. I cannot imagine people cutting off Netflix just to have Disney unless they can't afford it and they have a bunch of kids. Just don't see that. When you look at the big you know, competitors, what would be your advice to them if you were a consultant? If you were saying, hey, we got to find their Achilles. Wow, that is such a hard question because they execute so well and they're in so many markets. God, I don't even know. I mean, if you were asking me this five years ago or even three years ago, I would say that um, it would be their debt position. But something really monumental would have to happen for them to come unglued like that because they don't have a great balance sheet in terms of free cash flow right now. And they're really carrying a lot of debt. So the only thing that I can even think of would be some kind of horrible failure with their content play, because that's really what they run on. I mean, if they stop making content that people want to see, then then they're going to lose all their subscription revenue. But it, it's just they're really difficult to out-operate. What about like Amazon? Just- so you have Amazon that you know obviously has so many different revenue streams but if they really wanted to thread in netflix could they do it is are they doing enough i don't really think that amazon's model which is partly subscription and part pay pay per play is really that good for growing a type of internet channel that netflix is Um, so i'm really curious about what amazon's final destination with all this content buying is actually because I find it rather frustrating to navigate the Amazon website and I use it a lot I really like it and I'm a prime member also because they have great stuff on there but I don't think that that model is commensurate with what Netflix is doing I would be more afraid of Apple really um, because technologically and brand wise they're very well known and very well loved They just have to figure out the content part also. So I don't know. That's such a tough question about how you could even come at them because the way they beat all their rivals was complacency. That is the underlying issue with every single thing that they did was that they took advantage of the fact that the entertainment industry did not want to move into the digital age. It had this mistaken impression that it could control content once people figured out how to put it online. And that was a bad mistake. HBO made that mistake. They decided to do uh, that first streaming um, offering, which was terrible because you couldn't really get it online. You had to buy an HBO subscription and consumers were saying, we don't want bundled cable anymore. We're sick of it. We just want HBO. We like your channel and we want to buy it. They were actually it was a campaign that that they were uh, trying to get Richard Plepler to uh, to just let HBO be only online, and finally he did it. But it took two years, and the reason was because the entertainment companies were so enmeshed with their distributor, which is the cable system. 
So that if that existed with Netflix, that's how you would get at them. But I can't figure out how else you would do it other than maybe to, um, you know, do something with their ability to reach their customers, the broadband, um, you know, making really onerous uh, add-ons to people's cable bill. That's the only thing I can think of. Which competitor poses the biggest long-term threat? Which one you think would be? Like if you could say this one's going to keep Reed Hastings up at night and give him nightmares. I think that who gives him nightmares is probably YouTube. There's always been a shadow of fear cast by Amazon just because they're technologically so very good. And they do have the exact same kind of data that, that Reed Hastings had. So I would say those two, just because YouTube, because of the the massively fast pace of innovation that occurs, and that's Reed Hastings is constantly looking at ways to innovate because he knows that there will be somebody who comes up behind him who innovates better. So if YouTube can do that content-wise and morph into something that he can't do, then he could be beat that way. And then Amazon also just because like you said, um, they're in everything. They're just as big. They're just as technologically proficient. So either one of those, I would think, would be the two that he would be wor- worried about. A- HBO, they used to worry about a lot just because um, they had not really figured out the content game yet. And to some extent, they still haven't to the to the level that HBO has. But HBO kind of decided that they're not even going to try to compete with Netflix uh, in terms of growing that quickly and that uh, uh, that widely. They're going to concentrate on content. But it's interesting that even the biggest threats to Netflix all come with some type of baggage. What do you mean by that? Well, like Disney is a family brand. So they, you know, they're going to have to diversify their offering or else they're going to confuse the market. Mm-hmm. They can't do House of Cards and then call it Disney. So in a lot of ways, they could do multiple tier offers, which are still exciting. You still want to watch you know, a big Marvel movie or you want to watch a Marvel TV show or a Star mm-hmm. Wars series. But ultimately, they're not going to be able to mix mature content together. So it almost feels like they'd offer like different tiers um, or at least they would have maybe Hulu be their mature offering. Um, so that's going to be make things a little difficult. Um, Amazon does a lot of things, which is advantage, but also a disadvantage. It confuses the consumer and Apple is very much a closed marketplace. You know, it's not as open as Netflix and that yeah. makes it a little tricky. So it's, it's serving its ecosystem, which is still do- a huge part of the world, but it's not infinite. And then with YouTube, you're basically going from what is like a free model to a freemium model. And that also confuses the market. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of really smart people out there at these companies, but just the history of what these, uh, you know, services are about have nothing to do with what Netflix does. Netflix is a lot more specific in that way. It's like a lot more focused. Yes. And, uh, and that's been the best thing that they've ever done is just stay focused on doing one thing. And that was their mantra back from the DVD, uh, by mail days was we do one thing and we do it better than anybody else. So yeah, that's one of the other reasons they're going to be really hard to be because everybody thinks of Netflix around the world now as an internet television channel. And the other thing that they do great, that they realize that Disney, I don't know if they really understand this, but television or series, scripted series, is the backbone of that service. Everybody's thinking, oh, you know, it's going to be so great. Disney has all these movies. Well, movies are nice, but what actually keeps people coming back and and gets them addicted to it is the binge-watching of these series. 
Um, because, I mean, if you've ever done it, which pretty much everybody has, you get done with one series and everyone's talking about the next one and it makes you um, engage with that service for hours and hours and hours. And there's an emotional and habit uh, formed between Netflix and the consumer that you really can't underestimate how valuable that is. So, you know, you get on the Amazon website and it's like, do I want to shop or am I going to watch a movie? Same thing with YouTube. It's just like you're saying. It's, it's behavior that they have trained their consumers to do when they go on Netflix. It's almost like a Pavlovian reward. You hear that tone when the Netflix red screen comes up, and it's almost like a, you know, an, an exhalation of, uh, of anticipation you know, because you're going to enjoy something. So cannot be underestimated. Well, you see that you see that a lot in you know in journalism, where companies uh, that have already started with a paywall and they go, you know what was it the Financial Times? You got to pay for this content, and mm -hmm. it starts with that. They tend to be more successful, you know, of continuing that, sustaining that business model, versus somebody that's like, oh, check out BuzzFeed. Now you have to pay for it. Is I think that you could train a customer how to act, and then you want to retrain them. It's a lot of work. It really is because I think people feel a bit indignant when the proposition changes. Um, you get a little bit of that from the Quickster debacle when uh, you could get both streaming and DVDs on the Netflix website and Reed Hastings wanted to split them into two and then he wanted people to go to a different website and get the streaming and put their credit cards in two different sites and make queues on different sites. People were furious, and that isn't even that big of a deal. You know, they were still going to be paying um, different, you know, paying the same company, but they'd have two different charges on their account, which is what happens now if you have the DVD service. But when he proposed that change, it was so much of a difference between what they were used to and what they were anticipating that, that a million of them just dumped the service. I mean, it, they were just really angry. So that shows you the depth of attachment that people have to to these companies. And these companies really have to understand that. I sometimes think it doesn't sink in. Now we have a really interesting company called MoviePass, which is doing kind of what Netflix did to streaming. They're really innovating in the theatrical experience. Well, you know what's interesting about MoviePass, which I think is an awesome idea, and I'm actually going to do it, is the guy who's behind that is Mitch Lowe, who, if you remember from my book, was one of the early consultants and early founding team members of Netflix. And his uh, dream was to do Redbox, which he did with McDonald's. And then he moved on to do this movie pass. And um, the ironic thing of this is when I interviewed him for the book, when he was still at Redbox, he said, you know, I never thought that this would that Netflix would grow past about three or four million subscribers. And now he's doing a subscription model. So clearly he has changed his mind about that. What do you think is the biggest misconception about Netflix? Like Well, the one thing that bugs me so much because I wrote about this in my book and I've done a zillion interviews in the last five years. Reed Hastings did not invent this company because of a late movie from Blockbuster. And I, I know that that's a kind of a trivial thing. It is and it isn't. The reason that this company was invented is the reason that it's successful. And that's because Mark Randolph decided that he wanted to figure out how to do direct mail 
on the internet. He wanted to sell stuff to people and he wanted to see how the best way to do that was. So when he built the, um, the, the user interface, it's a really sophisticated marketing platform. So not only can you collect a lot of data from consumers, but you can also try a lot of different stuff on them every single day or you know, whenever you want to, really. So they're constantly collecting data. They're a data-driven company. Um, and they have a long horizon of watching consumer behavior. So it always drives me crazy when um, analysts say that, you know, so-and-so is going to come in like Disney and they're going to, you know, put Netflix out of business. Well, I mean, unless there's some kind of catastrophe that happens, I just don't see that happening because while Disney has been more open than most legacy entertainment companies about letting content go on the Internet, they simply do not have the culture and they don't have the data and they don't have the technology to do something like that. And the other thing is that Netflix is agnostic when it comes to content. And that's what people like about it. It's like a huge marketplace of content. You can be in any country in this world and find something that maybe is from a completely different country that is subtitled and served to you uh, because you like something else that was similar, but maybe, you know, from your own culture. So it's, it's a very, um, growing experience for viewers to be able to have access to a lot of stuff that they've never seen. Um, so that's another strength of Netflix. And so analysts and people need to keep that in context. But yeah, they have a lot of debt and, you know, they don't really own anything besides their content rights, but the experience that they have provided both technologically and content wise is extremely powerful. It's going to be super hard to beat just because people like to discover stuff that consumers like that. They don't enjoy anymore being served a, you know, Thursday night calendar of, uh, of shows. They want to pick what they want. And somehow the entertainment industry just is very slow to catch on to that. 